You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 260. I think cinema, movies, and magic have always been closely associated. The very earliest people Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouras, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Now today, guys, I have a Christmas treat for you. We have today on the show the directors of the insane movie Fat Man, starring Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins. This insane piece of cinema was written and directed by the Nelms brothers, Ian and Elsham Nelms. And the film centers on a neglected and precocious 12-year-old who hires an unorthodox hitman to kill Santa Claus after receiving a lump of coal in his stocking. The only thing I am angry about is that I did not think of making this movie before. I am just so jealous that these guys got to play in this amazing world that they created and having Mel Gibson as an insane badass Santa Claus is awesome. And this movie Fat Man honestly is um I told them in the interview I'm just glad that this film exists. I'm so happy that this is out in the ether for people to watch. It is such a fun movie and the way they approached the material, how they wrote it, how they directed it was pinpoint perfect. And in our conversation, we discuss how they came up with this insane idea for Fat Man, the 14-year journey it took to bring Fat Man to the big screen, working as a director's team, and their misadventures through Holly Weird. If you have some time this holiday season, do yourself a favor and watch Fat Man, which is available on all the streaming platforms for rental and for purchase. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ian and Esham Nelms. 
I'd like to welcome to the show Esham Nelms and Ian Nelms, the directors of Fat Man. How are you guys doing? We're good, doing brother. Thank you for having us, Alex. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on, man. So, you know, I, I, I get, I get, I get hit up by you know PR people all the time, like, hey, man, I want you guys, to, you know, my, I get these directors, I want them on the show, and I'm like, yeah, 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 and I get, I literally get them on a daily basis. But when I saw Fat Man come across my email, I was like. I have to see this. And I, and I get screeners sent to me all the time. And, and like I was telling your brother, um, Esham, uh, before, before we started recording, I normally don't, my wife's not in the business, so she doesn't watch any of the screeners. She's just, unless it's something really specific, she won't watch it. But I told her, I'm like, we got to watch this. And then I showed her the trailer. She's like, that seems extremely interesting. I want to watch that. And we sat and watched it. And at the end of it, I'm like, I can't believe these crazy guys pulled this off. This is... <laughs> Because it's an insane concept. Uh, everything about Fat Man is insane and in, in the best possible way, and I love it. Um, but before we get into Fat Man, how did you guys get into the business? Yeah, and I would say it starts like this: like Fat Man was not an easy uh, was not easy to get to, right? I mean, that's <laughs> something that we've been trying to get made for a very, very long time, and uh, you know, this career trajectory finally landed us at this moment in time right now. But I get that one made. So how did I think? So, so we started. So we st- I I was finishing up college at Cal State Bakersfield. I was a uh, I wrestled my way through college, but I was an English major and a theater minor. And Eshin was in Kansas City on a on a full ride art scholarship where he was painting and drawing and doing a lot lot more illustration. I think he was leaning more towards illustration. And he was doing these comic books at the time. And I was writing some plays and talking about writing a screenplay. And I didn't even really know what that meant. Uh, but Eshin and I grew up loving like a lot of a lot of movies our mom you know was a was a was an avid movie buyer she would buy all these vhs and then dvd copies of like she she had she got she uh got this clint eastwood collection so every two weeks we would, we'd get a new clint eastwood classic in the mail and it was all the dirty harrys the leone westerns the Iger sanction you know the lesser fair firefox and we just wore those things out then we started walking down to the video store which was a mile and a half from our house and uh, we rented the whole place out. We'd go down the weekends. We'd get a box of donuts, rent about six to ten movies, go home, devour them over the weekend. And we got so far into the titles that we were literally, uh, you know, we were we found El Mariachi in the uh, Spanish language section. <clears throat> That's where we first saw it. Um, but we started renting out of the Spanish language, even though we don't speak Spanish at all. <laughs> um, and uh, the town we're from is called Woodlake. And it's about uh, when we were living there, it's probably about 4,000 people. Um, yet it's literally a, an intersection. You'd walk down to the intersection, which is a mile and a half from our place. And uh, it was a gas station, a donut shop, a couple, you know, there's a grocery store, another one a little further away. But yeah, it was very, very small town. <clears throat> and movie making was not a job that anybody did there. It was very, it's a very agriculture based, you know, it's dairy farms and walnuts and oranges. And, and uh, so we went to college, that wasn't even in our heads. But I will say this, like our dad is a professional photographer and was for 20 years. And so he would drag us along and he had a color lab. He had, you know, three or four studios um, in, in several sort of satellite towns around. And he would drag us along, force us to shoot like the back cameras and like load his film backs and in weddings and graduations and, like, and seeing pictures. He and I had probably been to like 300 weddings by the time we were 15 years old. We were sober. And we hated them. 
Yeah, and we, <laughs> our dad would be like, oh, you guys are going to be using this your whole lives. We're like, we hate this. We're never going to be doing anything with photography. This is trash. And then he retired and and started, you know, started to become a teacher after 20 years. And he put all of his equipment in the garage. And he was out there shooting, like, you know, independent commercials in the area. So when we were in – I was in college for art school after I'd given up my paintball career to go because I wanted to become a professional paintball player for many years – and the, alas, the dream didn't happen, but I still have a reverence for the game. Um, but but <laughs> Ian's, Ian's studying literature and wrestling his way through Bakersfield, and I'm over in Kansas City, and we have this moment, right? So we're, we're both up late at night, unbeknownst to each other. Ian watches two movies over in, in Bakersfield, and I'm watching two movies in, uh, in, in Kansas City, and we don't know this, but we're both watching The Real Blonde and Barfly at the exact same time, in the middle of the night, like a nice. Turner classic movie or whatever, like independent film channel, uh, Sunday, I up all night. Right. And I call him the next morning and I'm like, dude, I watched two movies last night. They sort of rewired my brain. And he's like, he's like, you're, I watched two movies last night that rewired my brain. And so I'm like, honestly, we both watched the same two movies, you know, many, many States apart and had this same sort of epiphany moment. And it was like, Holy smokes. What do you think about, making movies and we're both in our early 20s at this time like we're, we didn't go to film high school like a lot of the kids that are they're doing now you know like right. i we moved to la it was like yeah i went to film high school i'm like are you kidding like they had that's a like i wish i had known that existed yeah like i you know i was barely able to wipe my fanny in high school <laughs> so we like decided we decided let's let's come home and try to write some scripts and try to figure this out and see if this is something we want to do so we literally came home we took our mom's you know crappy little $200 camcorder, Walmart camcorder. We started shooting these shorts over the summer and we were having such a good time uh, with really like crappy in-camera effects and like just, yep. and we were, we were waking up our friend at like 3 a.m. going, look at this short we made today. You know, like we edited it all together. We woke him up. He's like bleary eyed in his bathrobe. Like you gotta be fucking kidding me. But we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. We got him to laugh a couple times and, and then we're like, that was fucking amazing. Like, this is what we want to do with our lives. Uh, it, it just felt like all the, the tools that we had gathered throughout our lives, like my ability to draw Ian's, Ian's uh, you know, penchant for writing and literature, like our dad's photography skills that he had imbued upon us at a young age. Like we were like, holy smokes, this is all sort of coalescing into this profession that we should maybe be cha- like paying attention to. And so the skills that we begrudgingly learned from our father. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we, we decide that summer we're like, okay, dude, I'm like, I'm dropping out of art college. I'm going to come home. Let's go spend a year in Bakersfield writing, like learning to write. Cause I mean, dude, I, when I, was in- <laughs> I had one more year. I wrestled for four years straight, but I had a couple of more classes to fit to finish. So I had finished my eligibility for wrestling and then it was like, okay, I've got a few more classes to finish up. Let's go to Bakersfield, hole up in an apartment and write and try to figure this out. So that's what we did. We spent, we spent, I think maybe like eight months or something like that, like just writing and trying to, and trying to, trying to write and trying to figure it out. And we read everything we could get our hands on and watched a ton of movies and tried to educate ourselves. And then we headed down to, we wrote a script and we headed down to Los Angeles right around Christmas time, uh, just for that's a day amazing. trip. And we're, but we had read in this book, like, how to sell your screenplay in Los Angeles. I think that was literally the book's yeah. title. And it oh, was like, amazing. it was like, write a query letter. The secret to Hollywood is a query letter. And we're like, <laughs> fuck yeah. It's like, 
paragraph. We can figure this shit out. And they were like, be shocking, like stand out. We're like, oh, we can be shocking. Like we wrote the most offensive thing. We're going to shock the shit out of them. So we wrote something incredibly offensive. And then we went out there and uh, we were going. It was at a a weird time. It was the day before Christmas. And so like there were no secretaries at any of the front desks. We would walk into like Gersh is the one I really remember. Because we're like, oh, this is a big agency. We walk into Gersh and we're like, yeah, there's nobody there. So we blow past the secretary desk and we start looking down the lanes, offices, and we're like, hey, hello, anybody here? And then this guy's head pops out of a booth and he's all, who's there? And we're like, oh, uh, hey, we're screenwriters. And we like move in on him. And pushed him. And he's like wheeling backwards and he's like, what the fuck? You know, like the guard is gone. <laughs> And we come right up to him and we're like, oh, we throw him a query letter. We're coming at him. Oh, my and he's God. Like, Holy shit. So he, he's like, well, who the fuck are you guys? And we're like, oh, well, we're the screenwriters. We came into town for a day and we're shilling this query letter. We got a query letter. And he's like reading it right there. And he's like, well, Jesus, uh, you know, well, OK, well we'll, yeah. well, we'll get back to you guys. We're like, all right, great. That oh. happened about a dozen to 20 times that day. Uh, Cause nobody had their secretaries there. And then we went back home and I think we got like two emails that was like, uh, you know, like uh, good, uh, interesting query letter. No one wanted to see the script, but we were we were blindly, naively in, uh, encouraged enough by two people writing us back emails saying, "Interesting query letter." <laughs> well, they, but they were also like, "We'd be interested." In, like one of them did say that they'd be interested to see the script. I do specifically remember that, and we so we were like, "Okay, great." We got any feedback on the script though, right? We sent yeah, it out. We didn't have the script, right? Well, yeah, we didn't have a script. Yeah, we, we didn't had have a script yet. I thought we did. Didn't we have it by then? I don't think so. We had like a scene. Okay. So, all right. Anyways, we didn't have much except we had a play letter. <laughs> that is yeah, yeah. Uh, that is basically so. What you're telling everybody now listening is, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you need to go December 24th and knock on CAA's door with an offensive cur- curry letter, and that is the that is the way to hey, make it in Hollywood. <laughs> it works for us. No. <laughs> You should you should write a book. You guys should write a book like how to sell your script in Hollywood with an offensive query letter on December twenty fourth. Uh, so be very we, niche. We, yeah, that's how it works. And so then from there, we were both working at Applebee's. I'm like, all right, dude, let's pack up. We're gonna go to L.A. Like, let's make the plunge. So we both moved to L.A. with our girlfriends, and we both moved. All four of us moved into a one bedroom apartment in the middle of Hollywood, and oh, that was oh, that yuck. was. Yeah, that was pretty fun. For about a year, we did that, and then Ian and I got ended up getting our own place together. And uh, for you know, and I don't know if 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 the cramped quarters caused the breakup, but we both ended up breaking up with our girlfriends. <laughs> so we had to go get a place by ourselves, and uh, and that really began like the next chapter. I got rear-ended in a car accident, so my beloved uh, Vanigan got rear-ended in a car accident, and instead of fixing the car, I just pounded out the dents, and I bought the DVX100 camera, which had just come out. The, was it the A, sir, or was it the hundred, or was it the B? Which which one? We have to be specific here. It was the DPX one hundred, the very first one, the, the first silver. one. Yeah, the first one, right? Yes, that's. I I have fond memories. It, it was a beautiful little camera, man. It, it was, was, man. What it was. For oh the my time. god, it was such a beautiful. It was a first twenty four P camera, and I'm assuming you hooked it up through FireWire four hundred to a Final Cut system to edit. Oh yeah, Dude, I, I, like that was a big learning curve. So like plugging that in and like. No, like I remember when this the camera came out, Ian and I like we need to start shooting our balls off because everybody's yeah. going to get this tool and start making movies. Yeah, no. And so <laughs> I think we we shot like we went like the heads wore out in like four days, four like four months, right? We took it to yeah. Panasonic after four months of owning it, and they were like, 
Like you have 560 hours on these heads or some insane number. That, like we've never seen heads with this many hours on them because we were just shooting everything. We were shooting like three short films. We shot two features. We were shooting everything <laughs> for anybody. So good. That's you see, and I, I, but I, I want to stop you for a second. I want to stop because I want I want everyone listening to understand what this story means. They're doing everything I've said a thousand times. Educate yourselves. Shoot like mad people. Just keep experimenting. Keep shooting. Keep playing. It, it, I always tell people, everyone from our generation, our vintage, as I like to call it, um, <laughs> our vintage. Uh, El Mariachi is is the mythical. It's mythical. It's essentially yeah. it's like it's, it's our Greek yeah. myth essentially uh with robert did but a lot of people just think that he just showed up with a 16 camera he's like i saw a lot of movies i wanted to go shot on mariachi you know he had done like 30 vhs shorts that no one has ever seen before and he had practice and practice and practice till he finally got up to elmar and and mariachi was supposed to be a practice run (laughs) he never he never intended that to go anywhere he was just like Dude, like what? You, I can't release this. Um, but it's fast. I just wanted, I wanted to point that out to everybody is that you guys actually were smart enough, even in your early 20s, <laughs> to go, you know what? We need to educate, our, educate ourselves and practice. And that cameraman was – that with Final Cut Pro was a lethal combination if you knew what you were doing. Well, it really and was. We first started stringing stuff together. Like they hadn't even figured out that two-frame drop thing. So like we edited the feature and we got like 22 minutes into the feature and we're like – why is our audio all out of sync? And we're writing, uh, you know, Apple, and we're like, hey, the audio's all out of sync with this. Like, what's going on? We're writing Panasonic, and like finally, oh, yeah. like two months later, they're like, oh, there's a two frame drop that we uh, we fixed, and we're like, oh, well, there you go. Like that was, yeah. So we were going. So, so we, so so the first thing we did was after we bought that camera. I mean, we had run around. I think we'd written like two scripts at that point, bit too big, too big for anything to shoot, and and people were reading them, and we were at least getting encouragement enough. You know, people were giving us notes, of course, on on the scripts we had written, but we were at least getting encouragement enough that we were like, people were, like liked the ideas we had, and they were a little off the wall. Like, all right, cool. Well, I think what the problem is in our mind was that you know people haven't seen our our stuff up on its feet. That's what the problem is. So we we wrote this script in like three months called Squirrel Trap, and it was about. Four people who go, or five people who junior junior college students who are writing a, a paper on Thoreau, and they decide to take a four day weekend out in the woods to try to write the paper, get back to get back to nature, and then of course one guy goes off his meds and it turns into a bit of a thriller. So it's like Breakfast Club meets a little bit of a thriller. Nice. And so, lies. <laughs> I remember I wrote the. I remember I I finished the script and I handed it to Ash. This was the first draft. And this just happened to be how this one went. But I cranked out a first draft and I gave it to Ash and he reads it and he goes, I think we could make a movie out of this. <laughs> and so we did some rewrites since. But what we ended up doing is we said, how much would we need to shoot this? So we came up with a budget and then uh, it was $1,500 was the entire budget for the feature film. And we, we uh, uh, but again, we had the camera because Ash had been rear-ended. So... Costs outside of the camera were fifteen. The car was rented. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the camera was much more important than the car, guys. I have to say, for your career is much more important. Dude, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so we took we took that camera, we took that script, we cast out of Tony Roma's and uh, where I was working, you and we cast out of uh, ArcLight oh. Hollywood where Eshin was working, and so of we course. cast out of. The- 
Cast yeah. out of two places, all budding filmmakers and actors are in hot. They're everywhere. So you can't oh. throw a rock without hitting a budding filmmaker, writer, director, or actor. So we cast the best ones we could find that were in our peripheral. You know what I mean? Like we cast the people, the coworkers we were working with. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And they actually did a really good job. We finished the film up and we sent it out to festivals. Uh, and we did all the post ourselves in the house there in the apartment on yeah, Final Cut. I literally remember like getting like going down to bo- the bookstore, like Barnes and Noble, and like buying the Final Cut Pro like 600 page manual. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I just sat there, uh huh, uh huh. Like 600 pages later, Ian walks up to me, and goes, okay, how do you run this thing? And I taught him how to run it in like 30 minutes. And I had to sit like a week and read the whole manual. <laughs> <laughs> this is before it. online courses and YouTube uh, really yes, were a thing. Dude, yes. <laughs> I wish that existed back then. That didn't even exist back then. I know. I, re- so, I, re- I, re- I remember fondly or un- unfondly because I, yeah. just like you guys, I mean, like we are of the same, same vintage. So everything you're saying, like, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make your mouth water here for a sec. I worked in a video store for five years. So I got all of that for free and also got Nintendo free. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna boast yeah. a little bit, um, but, but yeah, I did the same thing. I would, I would take eight freaking movies home on the weekend, just cook through everything, and I was exposed to so many different movies and different things, yeah. and, and I was there when Mariachi showed up. I still have my Mariachi poster, my Mariachi original video poster. I have it framed in the awesome. other room. It's of course. It's so it's all the same. So it sounds like you guys are like walking very similar, not similar paths, because I, 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 but technology wise, video store check. DVX 100A, check. Final Cut, yeah. check. <laughs> but I, I wasn't as brave as you guys because I was on the other side of the, of the country in Miami. So I didn't come out to L.A. till much, much later. I wish I would have done what you guys did. But well, continue. had it only been three hours away, I'm sure you would have made the trek soon. Exactly. Oh, exactly. absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we just had to get over a hill. You had to get across the country. <laughs> exactly. So we so we shoot that independent film and it gets into a handful of festivals. And I remember we went to like we got into Palm Beach Festival, which was like a top 20 at the time. Yeah. And we don't know jack shit about anything. Like we show up there, we fly in and like we're just excited to like be there. And we're seeing like people watching our movie. So we went into a house and it was like a legit theater projecting our movie. And like maybe 50 people are in there. Yeah, and people yeah. are laughing or whatever, but it's the first time that we've ever seen the movie with an audience, one of our movies with an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just was like such an eye-opening experience. And number one, it was exciting. And that adrenaline bump and that excitement of people laughing at the lines and like getting the jokes and like being involved, like really hooked us. That was like, oh, wow, that's really amazing. And then the, the second part was the self-consciousness, which we realized the movie was way too long. And we went back and cut like 10 or 15 minutes out of it as soon as we got home. No, way too long, and it was uh, like eighty-five minutes, so we cut it down to seventy-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> to a to a tight seventy-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the I, best I, part. The best be, part is when that there woman. Be a little bit of context in like how we made a fifteen hundred dollar feature because we cast five people. We shot it in seven days. We shot it up near our house by the Sequoia Forest where they were camping. We convinced the actors that they needed to camp and live it. So they camped up there for seven days. Well, Esham and I ran batteries back and forth from our parents' house, which was a half an hour away. And and we got zero sleep for seven days, but it was a week. We were like, we got to make it a week. And then the the crew was me, Esham, and our dad. And so dad would pack all of it down a half hour on horseback. Our parents have horses. They would pack all the – dad would pack all the equipment down a half hour into the – down the trail. 
uh, for us and we'd all in, we'd unpack it and then he was our gaffer uh Esham and I would either be manning the camera or manning the mic you know and we would just switch off and dad lit the entire thing and there's literally 20 minutes of of night footage in the thing and he lit the whole thing with with uh, a flashlight a bounce card a fire and two Coleman lanterns from Walmart the whole fucking movie he lit with that and that camera and that camera if I remember correctly if that was with the DVX right Yep. Yeah. So I remember that was a fair. I mean, it wasn't like like Sony, you know, A7S. Yeah, yeah but not like that kind of sensor. But it, it wasn't bad. If you threw a little light in there, you can get some. You can get a nice image. And there was like a hack. If you adjusted the shutter, you could get an extra stop or something like that. And so like, I remember we were doing that at night. Like we were tweaking the setting to I, get the extra stop. I actually, I actually uh, sprung for the um, the widescreen adapter. That, Ooh, you remember that? Yes. that yes, because yeah. I wanted that more cinematic thing. Peter had one of those. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, we screwed it. You screwed it on. You screwed it on the front. It was just yeah. like. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It was amazing, oh, dude. A little dude. walleye, but it looked fucking great. And now it's like your darn phone shoots 4K. You're just like, Jesus. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's no, it's 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 a whole other world. The, you know, I know people are listening to like these old farts. I swear to God. <laughs> talking but, about cables. Yeah, I guess like, the, 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 the method is still there, right? It's just yeah. take what you have. And like, unfortunately, like, what's amazing now is like everybody has the a way better equipment in your phone than we were making movies with then. Absolutely. And that was passable, considered, considered passable. Yeah. So, so we took this $1,500 movie. We went around. We got into a few festivals. The top 21 at, at Palm Beach was the, was the most amazing one because we were actually there with like real stars and they had real movies there. And the cheapest movies besides us were six figures. They were like $100,000, $200,000. And people were like, how much did you make your fucking movie for? And they were fucking pissed. They were like, what the fuck? Like, how did you make a movie for that little? And how'd you and get into this festival? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'd all yeah. shot on film. And like we had shot on a fucking DVX and they're like, that fucking thing, that's the image you got out of that camera. They couldn't believe it. Well, what year, um, what year was that? That was what, 2003, 2004? We shot in 2003 and we went yeah. to the festival in 04. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember like, remember when that woman walked out? So like this woman walks out and she's like 70, 80 years old. That's a great lesson for you as a filmmaker as to like, because they always tell you, Oh, this person and that person is the type of person that are always watching movies, you know, for festivals. Like these are the people curating the festival movies. And you're like, hey, what? And you know, but yeah, go ahead, Ash. So like we're sitting there and we're we're thanking everyone as they exit the theater, like, oh, thanks for coming, like appreciate it. Yada, yada. And this woman walks out and she's like, Oh, thank you. Who are you guys? We're like, Oh, we're we're the filmmakers. We're Ian and Gnomes. Like, we made the movie. And she's like, Oh, you know what? Like, I just I'm so glad this got in the festival. You know, I chose this movie. I'm the one that curated it. And she was like, senior citizen for sure and like just found a little charm in it and like we're like this is the woman that championed us incredible yeah she was walking around with like a volunteer shirt on she's like 80 years old this little old woman oh i just loved this movie we're like amazing i can't believe it like what the fuck yeah i mean those are the those are the things you just can't you can't plan for that. Like that's just, and that's the thing I always tell filmmakers all the time. Like with film festivals, man, it's hit or miss, and it has nothing. A lot of times, it has nothing to do with your the quality of your film. I mean, Nolan got rejected. The following got rejected from Slam Dance one year, Which then is he crazy. Re, and then he did it the next year. He just submitted it again, and he goes, "All right, this year we'll let you in." <laughs> like, <laughs> be persistent. It's such a good I, movie. That movie's fucking legit. It, no, absolutely, it's a great. You know, not only a great first film, it's just a great film. Period. 
you could see it now. I mean, obviously, we all can like see the genius yeah, from, from sure. this distance, of course. But back yeah. then, it's like, but that's the thing that filmmakers need to understand. It's like it's hit or miss, man. Some days, like I, one of the films I worked on got into Sundance one year, and they the the, the programmer actually said, "Last year, this wouldn't have got in. Next year, it wow. probably won't get in. But this year, we wanted this, 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 and this checked off the boxes." Wow. That's amazing. No stars, no nothing. Dropped in 15 minutes before the deadline was over in, in the office in L.A. And they that's got amazing. it. So, but that's that's just the way it works. So, yeah, people got to figure that out. No, so from all of, so from that film, did you make any money with that film? Did you sell it? Did you get distribution on it? No, everyone, everyone not watching this. Ash's face <laughs> was so brilliant there. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> We, what we got was we learned not. a lot on that movie. <laughs> it was an education. It was an education. Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. They, yeah. because they weren't distributing a lot of DVX 100A features back in 2005. They, they would have probably not. laughed you out of the office. They were but, not. But what's interesting is so then we came back and we were showing all of our, our like because everyone at ArcLight and at you know, Tony oh, Ramos had gone to film school, right? Like they were USC grads. And like Ian and I, when we first got to LA, we're like considering going to film school. So we like went, we did the tour. Like we went to USC and we were like, if your favorite movie Star Wars, like you should be here. And then we went over to UCLA and they're like, if your favorite movie Star Wars, get the fuck out of here. And then we went, yeah, you know, and then we went to LA <laughs> film school and they were like, you're going to get to touch a camera like the fourth year. And we are like, no, like that, none of that works for us. Like we're just going to make our own shit. So we went back to ArcLight with our movie and we had like a film crew there, like a bunch of our buddies and that we would get gather and we would drink, drink cheap beer and talk movies every you know, other night and uh, in our humble apartments. And they were like, holy shit, you guys just made this movie? And we're like, yeah. And like, like, we want to make a movie. So we gathered up four other collaborators. So it was Ian, myself and four other people of our dearest friends amongst that crew were some pretty it came going on to be very established. Yeah. Um, but we went out and we made a movie where we were going to say, okay, let's do a collaborative movie. It's kind of like Robert Altman shortcuts where it has to start in one place and end in the other. And we're all going to do a little vignette and we'll intercut them like traffic and like, on like the worst case. And we're going to all star write and direct in them. That was the idea. And so and it, like, sounds like worst- a re- it sounds like a recipe for success guys. Just, a, <laughs> I'm just saying recipe for success. So I was like, what's it? <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and you're right. Like any, anyone would be like, that's going to be a disaster. But <laughs> I think we were all just so stupid. And, you know, what do they say about the bee? Like it just doesn't know. It can't. It shouldn't fly. So it does. And so we all went out. We, Peter Atencio, who went on to do like all of Key on Peel uh, episodes was amongst these filmmakers and we had Jeremy Catalino another guy who's uh, you know a, a very successful screenwriter like we all made these movies and we went out and shot these movies and we started intercutting them and we just did these like renegade style on the streets of LA like no permits no permission nothing like cops would roll up on us in the middle of Beverly Hills and we'd have extension cords like running down to the, the streets and they'd be like you guys don't have a permit to you I'm like absolutely not and he's like I'm going to be back in like 20 minutes. You should be gone. <laughs> like, okay, cool. But well, the cool get- thing about that is we weren't like, all right, let's start packing up. We're like, we got 15 minutes to get this scene. <laughs> Go. And we just started shooting our asses off. Yeah. And I mean, we would get like, like, sometimes we'd get like an hour to shoot before the cops showed up. And then they'd yeah. be like, get the fuck out of here. And we're like, okay, 15, 20 minutes. Go. You know, and then we get an extra time. So and there's like a scene where one of the guys is running down the street in his underwear. And like, we literally did that. We're just like, this dude looks like a crackhead running down the street in his chonies. And like, then we went to the, we did one scene where it was on the beach. And so we needed like lighting down by the ocean. And so we're running 450 feet of extension cord down to the ocean. 
and we we have this out. We go up to this house, and they're partying on their deck. And we're like, hey, we're shooting a little independent film down the beach. Can we plug in? And they're like, hell yeah, come on in. They like let us plug in, gave us two bottles of wine, and we're like, go have fun, kids. <laughs> so amazing. we walked into the side of their house, ran a 450 feet extension cord down to the fucking beach, and shot the worst sound we've ever shot in our life because it's just waves rolling in <laughs> so we had to up that shit later but we made so many fucking mistakes on these movies but we just fucking you know we we did all the again we did all the posts in our house we cut it together and then we invited the head because we'd, we'd become friendly with some of these film festival folks that we'd gone around with on squirrel trap this movie was called night of the dog and it was just a bunch of fucking guys running around getting their asses kicked by women for like 85 minutes <laughs> And so we were like, all right, like, let's try to get Great. into the same. Come on over. <laughs> and so we, 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 we called the, the director of the film festival and said, hey, are you – she, she had a place in L.A. And we're like, hey, are you in L.A.? She's like, yeah. We're like, hey, can you come over and watch this new movie we made? And she's like, oh, you fucking guys. All right, I'll come over. So she came over, sat down, watched the whole thing in our living room and fucking was laughing all the way through it. And she's like, all right, this is fucking in. I'm super pumped. This is really funny. Great job, guys. And that was a $5,000 feature. And like we won the audience award at that film festival and we won like half a dozen other awards at other film festivals, won a big award at Santa Barbara, which was a big fucking deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah, it's a huge. Now, mind you, mind you, with all these awards, you're just making obscene amounts of money, right? The money truck is just coming in (laughs) and dropping off hundreds, hundies, right? Just hundies everywhere, right? Dude, we literally like put five people in a hotel room at the festival because we had no money. We were going to like. (laughs) Chipotle burritos and like buying one burrito to split amongst all of us. It was Jesus, like, I remember that if, there were, if there was a free drink being served within like five miles of the festival, we were we there. Were there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was like nothing. We had no money. We had no we were fucking scrappy as shit. We're literally like going to those after parties, like eating all the crackers and cheese. <laughs> we're like, we're those fucking guys. Like, are you taking God. the chick? Are you taking the hors d'oeuvres and putting them in like your jacket and yeah. stuff? <laughs> Like, there wasn't a chicken nugget that fucking got past us, man. We were fucking desperate. <laughs> I oh remember we would like, because they only gave us two filmmaker badges and there's six of us. And so we would like. <laughs> I, know, I know where you're going. I uh, yeah. Absolutely. You would go in, give one of the passes, go back yes. out, go yeah. back in, get one of the passes, go back. Dude, I did, Oh, God. Yes. I did that so many times. <laughs> the filmmakers and we would go in and they would give us a couple of badges to come back out with some guys or gals from some of the other films. And we would go back out with five lanyards and put them on and get everybody in. And then, yeah, it was fucking. But that was the spirit of the fucking day. We were broker than broke. Like we were all just fucking scrappy as shit. Um, and that that thing won a bunch of film festivals. Like Focus called, Miramax called. They all wanted to see this fucking crazy indie. Ain't It Cool News, who was a big deal at the time, right. reviewed us and said we were the next Broken Lizard gang and like we were fucking tearing shit up. And we're like, oh my God, this is going to fucking blow up for us. And then they watched the movie and they're like, okay, guys, look, it gets all the way to the head of a lot of these companies. And one, one of them we know for sure because uh, we became very friendly with one of the acquisition guys and he was telling us how it got all the way to the top of uh, Focus, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, it was literally the, the president of the company was like, uh, I'm on the fence about taking this film on. He's like, because there's no stars in it. You, it's literally a $5,000 production budget, budget. It's just fucking gorilla shot. He's like, and they ended up saying no, but that was the closest we got to getting the fucking movie going at a big fucking place. They ended up saying no and they passed on it, uh, but were very complimentary about how entertaining it was. 
um, so we were just like, thank you. And then at one point around 08, this is like three years after we had done the festival run with it around 08, we had a, a distribution company that was going to put it out for us and for no money, but they were going to put it out for us. And we were like, all right, great, exciting. And then the DVD market and the financial crunch hit and the strikes all hit and they went out of business literally a month after they bought it from us. Well, we signed it over to them for free. It was a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. It's a, it's a non, non-tax deductible gift. Yes. Like we've been out like producing our special features, like doing the commentary tracks. Oh. We had it all done, like ready to go. Yeah, and, uh, and so that so it never got put out. We just put it up on Vimeo by ourselves, though. Um, after that, and then from from there, we got a bunch of representation because the film was pretty damn entertaining, and people liked the writing, and we won a bunch of screenwriting and audience awards everywhere. And they were like, "What have you got?" Managers and agents were like, "What have you got to uh, like? What scripts do you have?" And we had Fat Man. We had the Fat Man script, and so we passed. What year? Passed what year is this? This is 08. We wrote it and we're running around with it 14 years ago. So overnight success. Overnight success. Got it. (laughs) Exactly. But we had Batman like in 05 or 04. I don't even know. We did. did. A version of it. We had a version of it. We've been, we rewrote it every year since then um, as we hopefully got better at what we were doing. Um, But I would say here's a, here's a really interesting story for, for uh, filmmakers as well that um, it's just, it's, it, I think it's just, what you have to do, the kind of mentality you have to have is that right around Night of the Dog, when it was doing well and winning awards, we had read Rebels on the Backlot, that Sharon yeah. Waxman book. Yeah. Great and book. it talks about Tarantino and it talks about Paul Thomas Anderson and like all of our heroes, right? Yeah. In the 90s. Um, and we were like, and it mentioned Tarantino and Avery's manager in there. Her name was Catherine James. And it was talking about how she was like a brownie baking mother, yet she would like bust into people's office with Quentin's scripts and be like, you need to fucking read this. Why haven't you read this? I gave it to you a week ago. And they're like, Jesus, hold on. I'm in the middle of a meeting. She's like, I don't care. Read the fucking script. And then she'd go walking out. I don't think she cussed because I, I really don't think she she was a, uh, a sailor. Not a, not a, <laughs> she was not a, not a sailor, but she but she was very impassionate. So she 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 would smash it on the deck and say, you need to read this. And then they would be like, dang. So she would get them to read the scripts. And then obviously that took off for him um, because of her impassioned pleas to people. And we were like, that's who we need as our manager, like that woman. So I literally found her email and I started emailing her. And I, I emailed her once a week for six weeks with no replies. And then finally, at the end of six weeks, she replied to me. And like every email I sent was very positive. I was just like, Hey, we just won this festival. We're excited. Hey, we've got this idea for a script. Hey, we just got into this other festival. It was like any stupid thing I could update her on, I would update her on for six weeks. It reminds me of like the answering machine scene from Swingers. (laughs) (laughs) Or or cable guy. Hey, I was at payphone. Thought maybe you called. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It was that type of shit for, for six weeks, one a week. She never wrote me back. And then finally she said, oh, hey. Finally she wrote me back. It's like, hey, I'm, this fucking guy's not going away. Hey, you know, uh, let's let's schedule a time to talk on the phone. So I talked to her on the phone for like – it ended up being like a two-hour conversation one night wow. and uh, really gelled with her. And she's like, send me a script. Send me that script you were telling me about, that Santa Claus one. We're like, okay. So I, we send her that script. She reads it, falls in love with it, has a meeting with us, and is like, hey, guys, like I really fucking think – you guys have something here. I really, I really think you're talented. She takes us on as, as a representation. And for the next like four years, um, 
you know, she was our sort of guiding light and she was fantastic. She really was amazing. She ended up passing away of, of cancer. Oh. And that's the reason she wasn't answering for six, for six weeks is she was um, going into remission oh. from the first time she was recovering. And she was like, I'm thinking about getting back into the business when we were contacting her. But she's like, because I'm in remission, I'm beating this thing. We're like, all right, amazing. And then she took us back on, picked up a bunch of her old clients again and was, and was sailing along for about four years. And then it caught back up with her. But We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. She was an amazing person. She, you know, we still, we still really good friends with a lot of the contacts and her old clients that, that, uh, that like James Lafferty, a guy we've made four or five movies with was one of her old clients, um, that we met through her. But yeah, like, like that was a huge stepping stone for us. And it just came off of cold emails, honestly, and me getting her a script. So I think that that story of perseverance and, and just trying to connect with somebody, it, that's, it really paid off for us. Yeah. Um, so, Ari, so, so since you've done this amazing transition into Fat Man, let's start talking a little bit about Fat Man. So, oh, tell, yeah, every, so tell everybody what Fat Man is about. So a, uh, a 12-year-old boy receives a lump of coal in his stocking, so he hires a hitman to kill Santa. I'll give you 20 million, I'll give you 20 million for it right now. <laughs> i mean how so okay that's that's first of all brilliant and that was back in 08 you started showing this around right 08 09 something like that years ago, so probably 06 we probably started running around with a script that we were excited about and i love to i just want to i want people listening to understand the process of what how ridiculous this town is so this script which was updated obviously during the years yeah, you, kept, yeah. you kept rewriting it but the concept was there you know, what was in 06, in 2010, in 2012, what were people saying about the script? And I, I, have, a, I, have, an in, I have an instinct about what it might be, but I'm just curious. What, what, what are you hearing? Because it obviously is moving. It's not like this sucks. So what was going on? So I think, they, first of all, they just wanted to see the two maniacs that would walk in that had crafted this. That was number one, I think, because it was just, you know, for them, it was so outside of anything they'd ever read before. But I also think they would, the number one thing we would get is like, what's the tone, you know, of this? They would say, is this serious? Is this a joke? Like, what is this? And they're like, this is, this is, they, keep, they kept telling us, someone's going to make this. It, I don't know if it's going to be you because this is execution dependent. So they always kept telling us. And Ian and I did, they're like, what is this? We're like, what's on the page? It's right here. Like, what do you mean? What is it? It's comedy. It's kind of a Western. It's got, you know, it's action. There's drama. It's heartfelt. And they were just like, yeah, but if you stick that in this director's hand, it's going to lean this way. If you stick it in this director's hand, it's going to lean this way. Like, right. what is it? And we would say, well, it's this, 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 and this, and it's kind of this and a little bit of that. And they were like, well, you're going to have to do something in that tone before I can even see what this is. But I like the script. And we're like, okay, great. Um, so that was literally what set us off on, okay, we need to make something, we need to get something to get up to this movie. So we wrote this script, uh, and we almost got it going, uh, in about, in about 08. And again, it was right around the same time as that writer's strike. And they were, we had like a five and a half million dollar budget over at new Regency with some pretty great stars attached. And then the bottom falls out of the market. And, uh, it was within like months that we got a call and they're like, your budget's down to like $2 million now, two and a half or something like that. And we're like, fuck, we can't make this for two and a half million dollars. We were barely going to pull it off for five and a half. And then they said, well, if you can't do it, then you should probably write something else that is around 2 million bucks. And so we wrote that, which is 
Small Town Crime. We wrote Small Town Crime, which we've actually shot and made now, the previous film. And we wrote that film. And then when we went back out with that film, it was about 2010. And they were like, well, look, we like this script a lot. But in the subsequent year that you guys have been writing this script, the bottom has fallen out of the DVD market now. So there isn't a $2 million market to make this film. You're going to have to do it for like 200 grand. And we're like, 200 grand? What the fuck? Like, I don't even think that's possible with some of the shit we want to do in this thing. And they're like, well, then you got to write something that's 200 grand. So we're like, fuck. So then we were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to write something that these motherfuckers can't stop us. Like, I don't like, so we wrote something and we saved up every fucking penny we had. We had been saving our fucking pennies since the Arclight and Tony Roma's days. Everything we fucking had. And then I started doing this swim business with two and three year olds where I started to make a little bit of money. And I was able to save up a chunk, like 40 grand. And I was like, okay, this is over the course of six, five or six years. I had 40 grand. (laughs) And I was like, we're going to make this fucking movie. And we wrote Lost on Purpose, a dairy epic, which obviously there's a big market for dairy films. Obviously, obviously. There's like, there's at least 30, 40 people solid that will show up for that film easily. Yeah. Exactly. But it was our like, it was our HUD. It was our last picture show. It was our American graffiti. And we were just like, fuck it. I don't care if anybody wants to see a dairy movie, we're going to fucking make one. So it was, it was basically about how we grew up and where we're from and the people that live there. And so we were like, we're going to shoot this shit for 40 grand, whatever we fucking have. And so we came up with a business plan. We uh, picked up a, a buddy of ours who, who is our DP and who shot our last like four films, Johnny Durango. Um, and he, at the time, Esh met him shooting safety videos in skyscrapers. Esh was gripping for him. And he would come over and watch our movies. And he was like, you know what the only problem with these movies is? We're all what? He's like, I'm not shooting them. <laughs> <laughs> that was actual movies. And so we were like, uh, we we're like, all right, well, shit, let's see if this guy can shoot something besides a safety video. So he was showing us his stuff, and then we decided to let's let's do a short together. And we did a short film together. It came out incredibly well. It's the best fucking thing we'd ever like looking thing we'd ever fucking shot to date. And we were like, holy shit, this just upped our game like ridiculous. Like this guy actually has cameras with fucking lenses, you know? <laughs> like shit looks good. Depth of field. <laughs> like and like, cameras oh, and lenses and shit. Like <laughs> yeah. Real equipment. <laughs> he had this zoom lens that came on the DVX, you know, like. <laughs> Which, by the way, was an um, it was a Leica, and it was an amazing lens. It was it, that lens had no business being on a camera that 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 cheap. <laughs> it was, but when we when Johnny started rent, he's all, "I've got to rent two lenses." We're all, "Fuck you! You don't need to rent any lenses. That's like two or three hundred bucks." And he's like, "For this short." He's like, do you want it to look fucking good? We're all, yes. He's like, then trust me. So we did. And it looked fucking amazing. Like we had real depth of field, you know? So we were just like, holy shit. And the colors were all popping. Like everything looks fucking amazing. And the lighting was good. And we're like, fuck. Like, okay, we need a DP. Because <laughs> we were DPing all of our own shit. Um, and then from, so from there, like when we did lost on purpose, like we shared the script with him and he was like, he grew up in a small town. He really enjoyed the script. And so he came on board as a producer and started raising money with us. And so we each basically raised half of the money. Um, he, he went out and raised about 90 grand. The DP did. Wow. And we raised, yeah. And we, we went out with our 40 and ended up raising another 110. But, um, we started shooting $25,000 short of our budget, of our end budget. Again, we were recipe for success, a recipe for success exactly. in filmmaking. Exactly. Absolutely. We were going to shoot with whatever we had. 
And we knew yeah. that if it came down to it, I had a $5,000 limit on my credit card and we could at least finish production with that. You know what I mean? And so I, I'll never forget that time when you came up to me about day 20 and you're like, I don't know when, but we're going to run out of money if we don't get some more. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Let's just keep shooting until the wheels I, come off. And I just, I just, I just want to, again, stop for a second because I want everyone listening to, to understand the insanity that it is to be a filmmaker. We, we are, we are, we are sick. There is a, there is an actual illness. It's a disturbance that we have. And I always call it like, once you get bitten by the bug, you, you can't get yeah. rid of it. it. It can lie dormant for, for decades, but it will come up. I've got 65, <laughs> 70 year old guys who are retired who reach out to me like, look, I've, I've been a doctor all my life, but all I really want to do is direct. And now I'm, I want, you know, and I'm, I'm writing my first script and I'm like, it never goes away. It's insanity. Yeah. There's no other business that you can go into. You're like, I don't care that I'm spending $200,000. I just need to make this thing. And if it makes money, great. <laughs> if it doesn't, yeah. who cares? And like, and you're literally like your backup plans are like, well, I could sell my house and I could sell my car. And <laughs> right. I guess that's like the backup. insanity. Yeah. I guess and this you, is never going to make money, but fuck it. At least I'll have a movie, you know? It's crazy. It, it's, it's insane. And I think as you get older and you start getting a wife and uh, or a significant other and then children come, then that conversation starts to be tweaked a bit. Um, yeah. Just just like – because like right behind me, I have a life-size Yoda like sitting yeah. behind me. Everyone knows about my life-size Yoda. I got that in 99. That is not a purchase that I can have a con- – I have to have a con- serious conversation <laughs> – with my wife about like, you know, yeah. I really need a life-size Yoda. Um, like th- that's, that's pre-wife purchase. There's a, so everyone listening, if you're not married, buy any crazy thing you want to buy. Go hard early. Go hardcore <laughs> now. <before laughs> then, this is your chance. Exactly. But, that's, but the, the conversation changes though as you get older. You're like, I can't, totally. I can't mortgage my house now because I've got kids. But a thought goes through your head though. Yes. Well, it's just like kids, we're, you know, you know what's really exciting is a trailer. You know, <laughs> like you live in a trailer. It's like camping all the time. <laughs> we're going to do tent living. <laughs> no, van people, don't forget van people. There's van people who just like purposely sell everything yeah. they've got and they go around the country That's l- living in a van down by the river. Sorry, Chris Farley. I That's an to- ultimate callback. <laughs> the ultimate callback to rest in peace, Chris Farley. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, yes. All right. So, all right. So, all right. So fat man, you, so finally you get fat man. Someone is crazy enough to finance this thing. Yeah. Um, someone's writing a check and then I got to know, how'd you get Mel? <laughs> like, how do you get Mel and Walton, you know, two, I mean, Mel is a legend and, and yes. Walton's such an amazing actor, very well-respected actor. I love everything he does. How the hell do you get these guys attached? So, I mean, I think let's just start with Mel, right? So we go to a screening of Hacksaw Ridge in like 2016, 2017. He's got we the beard. Yeah, he comes, he comes out afterwards to do the Q&A. He's got this beautiful full beard. He, he's just finished the production. He's on the, the press tour there. He looks a little worn, a little threadbare, you know. He's kind of hunched over, kneading his beard. Looks like he's carrying the weight of the world on his fucking shoulders. But he's still got like the spark in his eye and the passion. And he and I were sitting there, we just turned to each other yeah. and we're like, oh man, like that's our Chris. Like he's disenchanted. He's like, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, but he's still got the passion in him, you know? And so like, that's when we latched on the idea of Mel. And then when we started to put the movie together three, three years later, 
we got producers and we started submitting. We we had to formally submit through his agent. And I remember we wrote him a letter and we were like, hey, Mel, like this is you know why you're amazing. And uh, also you look fantastic in a beard, you know. And so we sent that away. And, you know, you hope for the best, right? And it had been a couple weeks. Like, we hadn't heard anything. It was kind of radio silence. And we're like, oh, I guess we got to move on. Okay. And then all of a sudden, ping, you know, you've got mail shows up. And Ian's sitting there at, at home. I get an email and it says, and we're, we're, we're talking to producers and financiers and everybody you could think of via email right now. I'm like, okay, I set up that meeting. Great. Okay, you want to talk to us about it. You enjoyed it, whatever. Okay, great. We'll meet up, we'll meet up with you guys and talk to you about it. Um, and then I get this one in my box that was like, hey, I uh, really enjoyed the script. Um, I, I think it's really funny. Let's sit down for a chin wag. And there was like no sign off. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? And I look at the name on the email and it's like a weird pseudonym. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, who is this? I'm like, okay, hey, great. Thanks. Glad you dug it. Uh, like, who am I talking to? And they're like, oh, hey, sorry, I forget to sign off sometimes. This is Mel. And I was like, holy fuck i was like <laughs> by the way everyone everyone listening that's mel gibson if we haven't mentioned yeah. his last name that's mel gibson yeah. yeah and it wasn't like he's going like mel dude 25 right like we have no idea it's him we're like mel number out. one fan 72 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out. so we so we we our agent hits up his agent and is like hey you know like yeah let's the guys want to sit down and they're excited um, so they're like, all right, we're going to give you 45 minutes in a cafe over in Malibu. Like, you know, he, like here, you get, go hang out with him and, and chat with him and see if you guys gel on this. So we sit down with him and that 45 minutes turns into three and a half hours later. And we're like, you know, still talking and walking to the car at the same time and like hugging and shit at the end of it. It was like that kind of meeting where we talked about film. We talked about life. We talked about love. We talked about, he, and, he's a, and he's an amazing like open book you know about his life and his movies and he he's very he's very forthcoming so it was pretty fucking amazing conversation with him and we got to ask every geeky nerdy question we'd ever wanted to ask and we were pumping him for everything we're like apocalypto when uh, you did this you know like everything you can imagine and then we talk about fat man and it was this amazing moment where he goes uh you know that moment where, where Chris is standing out over the balcony and he's looking out over the elves and he's got to tell him that really shitty news about the about the military and we're all like, yeah 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 and he goes he goes I think I should be like damn near like near tears when I'm ready to tell him that like it should be that devastating we're all like, yeah yeah exactly and he goes I think that's what's gonna make it so funny and we're all like, exactly exactly like he instantly got you know like the layers that we were going for. We wanted this very grounded approach to something that was fantastical for multiple reasons, but he understood it and he wanted to do it and he was pumped about it. And he got really excited about it, talking to us about it. It was awesome. And I'm assuming, yeah, uh, and I'm assuming that once Mel was attached to the project, the financing opened up a bit. Yep. That, yep. that, that <laughs> made it real. That made it real. Yeah, for sure. And, like, and what got us in the room with the producers, because that's the real base question, right? It's like, what, so after 14 years, what had changed? Well, we had made a lot of movies up until then. Like Fat Man is our sixth movie, I think, sixth feature film. Two of them were nano budget. Then we did a two hundred thousand dollar film. Then we did an eight hundred thousand dollar film, and then we did a one point nine, a, a one point nine million dollar film, Small Town Crime. And the cool thing about Small Town Crime was, um, is that it we we had finally gotten up to a budget level where we could do the tone that we were after because there was a certain yeah yeah there, it was. It was action-packed. It was dark comedy. It was. It had a Western vibe to it. 
it was drama. very very character driven. What would you say, Ash? A little drama in there. And very dramatic at the same time. Yet we had splashes of gore. We had some cool action scenes. Um, what we were able to do for what we had. But and then we got a great cast for that movie. And so when we went into production offices with Fat Man Next, uh, we were able to point back to that movie and say, that is the tone. That movie, Small Town Crime, is the tone. And they would go, oh, okay. So they would read the script, watch the movie, and we started getting a lot of meetings, which was because, great. Which is that, and that's how that whole th- and that's how the whole thing came about. Yep. Now I have to ask you, man, because you know Mel is not only a legend and an Oscar-winning actor, but he's also an Oscar-winning director. Um, so yeah. what's it like directing an Oscar-winning director? Like you know, <laughs> <laughs> like is. Uh, there's also the butterflies, right? You're like, what the fuck are we going to tell Mel Gibson? You know, but <laughs> right. but I think, but it's like Mel Gibson's there to make the, the same movie you are, and so like we're all on the same page. Like he wants to facilitate, and I think that's what really comes down to the amazing experience we had. Is that Mel knows as a director himself what he what he what a director would need from their actors, you know, and their collaborators in that respect. So he's utterly respectful of that. Of, of that role and like is there to collaborate to the umpteenth degree, but don't get us wrong. Like Ian and I are absolutely like between takes, like picking his brain, like, Hey, you know, on Braveheart, he's like, Oh, on Braveheart, I like was double printing frames for emphasis, you know? And we're like, Oh <laughs> shit, double printing frames. We're like we're writing that down. And like, we double printed frames in fat man. So like we're at, he's a resource, man. Like we're taking everything we can from him. It was a wonderful collaboration for that regard. And, and, he, and his approach was incredible because um, he would come up to you and he would say, if he had a suggestion or a thought or, or, or a question or something, he would say, now, hey, I just had this thought. Uh, uh, take it or leave it. Completely throw it out. I'm making your movie. I'm here. I'm, I'm here for you guys and with you guys. But but uh, you can you don't have to take this. But but what do you think of this? Or what do you think of this little improv line or whatever? And, and it, that was great because it took all the pressure off of us to have to accept the idea. Was he was he leaning on us because you know he needed it this way or whatever? But no, he was he was very, you know, disarming. He would come up, disarm you and say, it's okay if you don't want to do this, but here's what I was thinking. And, and that gives us a lot more freedom as artists as well. We're like, well, of course we'll fucking try it. If it doesn't work, it's no big deal. You know, we don't have to keep it great. You know, and that's how he approached everything. He was very like, let's fucking try it. If it doesn't fucking work, like, I don't care. We're like, all right, great. Like, and yeah, it was great. It was really a great fucking collaboration. And like all those little moments with him and Marianne uh, at the end where she like picks up the rolling pin and comes after him and stuff like that. Those were all little improv moments that they were just having such fun doing. Uh, And there was so much stuff that, you know, we could have used this take or that take, but they were giving us so much gold in those types of, in those types of uh, like the, the, the moments that show their chemistry and love between each other. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. 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 Well, I'll never forget like, like about what was it? Two or three weeks into shooting. Mel comes to us. He goes, Hey, um, you guys think I could see some footage? Because we hadn't been showing him any of the footage. Like it never really even occurred to us that some we actors watched it. For it so we didn't even think about it. We were just, I mean, we're watching all the fucking dailies with our DP and fucking talking like nonstop about it and editing yeah, like, scenes together and fucking around the footage. And we hadn't shown it to him though. And he's like, you mind if I look at some of that? We're like, absolutely shit. So we like came over that weekend. We, sh- we ran through a bunch of stuff and a couple of scenes we cut and he was cracking up through it. And he's like, fuck, this is exciting. He's like, I'm really excited. And he was mainly worried about his performance as he was just like, I'm doing this cowboy thing. I'm being very gruff. And of we're course, like, Dude, it's great. We love it. Like, oh, you're good. Great. but he hadn't seen it and he wanted to make sure that he was okay with it, you know? 
Right. Um, now you guys, because I, uh, I, 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 nowadays I just assume everything's shot digitally, but I heard you say you double printed. Did this shoot on film? No, well, we just, we just, you know, we just cheat it. We just cut the same frame and double it up. You know? Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, got yeah, it. Got it. I was going to say, I was going to say, I was like, wait a minute. You shot this on film too? Jesus. Nah. We shot on the Alexa, which it, it's a beautiful camera. It is. It is a stunning camera. And it, it was actually, it looked gorgeous. And I mean, I can't, and by the way, Walton, like amazing. Dude. Amazing. And, and so, yeah, like we were out like trying to figure out who the skinny man's going to be, right? And I right. remember they floated us um, Walton and we're like, okay, great. And then we sat down with a few people that we, we were excited about. We thought they were going to be really you know, good options. And then we sit down with Walton at a coffee shop. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And he's just a force, man. He's a beast. And like right there across from that, from us, he starts acting out scenes and he's like, I'm right there and I'm looking at an elf and I'm bearing down on him. And we're like, dude, this is holy like, shit. This is the guy. <laughs> like we got juiced on that. And we like, I remember from that, from that moment, we're like, all right, he's, he's a skinny man. We got to get him. So he came in and made such a, such a great impression on us. He was the only one we saw after that meeting in the role. Did you, and he was did you really get- fun to work with because we would, we would be, he's, you know, there's, there's the, he's somewhere between, he's somewhere in between or near a method actor, but he doesn't, he's not, he's not a, he's, he's great to work with because we would go in and he would be sort of that skinny man's always kind of bubbling beneath the surface. And whether you're asking him about a question about lunch or, or, or the next take, he's, he's answering you in that voice. And it was so funny, man. You were like, Walton, do you want chicken for lunch? Is that what you'd be like? Yeah, I think I'll have some chicken. It was so it was so amazing. It was so amazing. We had so much fun with that guy. And he gives you such uh uh like subtle nuance, you know, yes. differences in every take. And and he gives us a varied range. He's like, let me push this to the think on this one and see if you guys like it. And you know, use whichever one you want, but let me push it really hard on this one. Trying to ride that line between comedy and 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 realism, you know, it was it was a he was a lot of fun to work with because he just gave us so many great options. And did you guys watch um, watch him in Son of Anarchy? Sons of Anarchy. I had seen clips of him, oh and it god. is fucking incredible. Oh my god! When I saw him show up, like I was telling my wife, I'm like, "That's the guy from Sons of Anarchy." And she's like, "Oh my god!" Like he, you know, he's so amazing, yeah. and that that part that he played in that show was just like. But he's, I mean, he's Oscar nominated. I forgot what he was nominated for, but. Uh, was he nominated? He was nominated, or if not, he should have been. Um, I think I don't he know. won an Oscar for a short film. Yes. Okay. That he produced because I remember seeing his name in Oscar something, or you know, hey. like they throw it up there. But he is just amazing. He'll get there. He'll, oh, dude, yeah. he's amazing. He's, so he's amazing. He's amazing. We'd be sitting there and be like, "Oh wow, he's kind of got like this Nicholson vibe." And then, like you know, like every way he turns, you're just like, "Oh man, he's he's just got it. He just exudes that star quality." And he in this movie, he shot. I mean, like. Both him and Mel are just so brilliant in the part, and Marianne uh, as well. She was wonderful as Mrs. Claus. She was amazing. Yeah. Amazing casting there, and the the set design, the elves. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of the storyline, uh, but the storyline, how grounded in reality it was. Because you you guys are right, it could have gone into uh, Lee Major Scrooged. Really quickly, because <laughs> that's the only thing I remember. Like when I saw this first concept, when I saw the trailer for Fat Man, which I saw probably a, a little while ago. Um, I said, I was like, oh, that reminds me of Lee Majors and Scrooge, because that's such a. I just remember yeah. Lee Majors as Santa with a gun, but it was nothing compared to Fat Man. But it was just the only concept of like other than the jolly dude. <laughs> 
And I was like, and it could have gone down that road, but the way you guys grounded it in reality just makes it so much funnier. <laughs> it's so much more insane. <laughs> I mean, for, for us, like that, doing the straight take on it had so many different faucets for us, right? Like it enables the stakes to go up. It enables the drama to go up. Um, it does It have innate comedy within it, like taking it so straight like that. So I don't know. It, it was just so multifaceted for us. It's the only way we ever saw the picture being like, there's just no other way for us. It was, it, it's, I, I recommend it highly. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, I'm so glad that this exists. It's like one of those films that just, I'm so glad it's in the world. Um, it is, I feel a new holiday classic. It should definitely be out there like with Die Hard, obviously. Um, but uh, I mean, Obviously, I did a whole episode last year, proving. Did you die hard with a proof yeah. with with actually a, statist, a, a status a statistician, who actually did the, the the work and did the research to prove without uh, by math that Die Hard <laughs> is a Christmas movie, and uh, and he did it through algorithm. I'm not I'm not even joking. He did this whole thing, algorithms searches for per Google. For Christmas movie Die Hard, how it goes up, wow. the whole the whole gambit. He's a he's amazing, and we sat there just you know just talking about it. And uh, and I told him next year we have to do Lethal Weapon because I think Lethal Weapon is on the yes. fringes of being a. It's not as Die Hard, not like Die Hard, but it's on the fringes of being yeah. a good, an amazing Christmas movie. I have to bring him right back to Mel. Um, now I have to ask you guys one question because I've always I've never actually asked this about a, to a directing team before. I've been directing for 20 odd years. I can't even compare. I can't even begin to think about having to direct with somebody else. Like, it's just like, it's insane to my mind. I love to collaborate, but to have a, an actual co-director, how does it work? And I know you guys are brothers, so that probably helps a lot, but how does that work? Do you have arguments? What happens when you both aren't seeing the same thing? Are you too, too, are you yin and yang? How does that work? Well, I think, look, uh, um, most, if not all, of our writing or our our sort of quibbles are are solved in the writing room. So when we get to the set, we're utterly synced up. But I think if we do get into you know debates or a heated conversation, that happens while we're sculpting the story, and it may take you know one of us you know we'll write and and, and I think the way we write is like we'll brainstorm an idea. One of us will hammer out the scene. They'll float it to the other one. He'll do his thing to it. He'll float it back. Like we just sort of toss it back and forth till we're really happy with it, and. And if something bounces off Ian that I may have a, a disagreement with, and I'll be like, oh, man, I don't know that line. He's like, well, yeah, but if what if it was said like this, right? And he'll act out the line. And we're not, you know, master thespians by any degree. But we're like, oh, well, if it's like that, like, then that makes sense. You know, like it gets in the script. And the other Trump well, card well, is like. Well, if Gosling said it like that, then it's probably <laughs> going to work, all right? <laughs> the other thing, like, whoever is most passionate. Right. So we sort of like we'll, we'll we'll be like, OK, you're really, really passionate about this. Like, let's let it roll. I, I, yeah, because I that's, that's an it. There's been a lot of interesting moments in, in all of our films where <clears throat> like it's probably ninety nine point nine percent. We both are happy with everything that's in there. But there's always a line or a moment or this or that that somebody was like really passionate about. And the other person was either on the fence about or was like, well, put it in if you're that fucking excited about it, you know. And I can't even tell you there was there was one line in one of our films where Esh and I, I think it was lost on purpose where Esh and I were, were, he was like, I took it out. He put it back in. I took it out. He goes, why do you keep taking that line out? I'm like, I just don't like it. I don't, I think it's too whatever. And he's like, it needs to stay. It needs to stay. I'm like, all right, fuck it. We'll stay. Leave it in. So, and I'll be damned if every time we didn't do, cause we do little screenings, like five to 10 people at a time as we're honing our edit. I'll be damned if 
we didn't do one of those screenings, people would comment on that line and be like, oh man, that line, it just really got to me. It really connected this and this to me. And I'm like, you motherfucker. Like, so I, was, I feel like it's just, when somebody gets that passionate about something, they have a fucking vision for it. And with us, like I trust him implicitly. So if he's like, no, 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 I got it. This is going to be this way and it's going to be fucking amazing. And even if he can't talk me into it, which usually he can, usually we just, we describe it to each other and we're pretty synced up in our taste. And we're like, Oh yeah, that would be awesome. You know? But even if, if a line like that gets by me and I just can't fucking see it, usually he, he, he is, he's probably a hundred percent right in, in those moments and, and vice versa. If I'm passionate about something, he's like, all right, well fuck, leave it in then. And usually somebody will comment like that fucking moment was so great and he's like god damn it you know like how did i not see that but we just trust each other we have to trust each other because um you know we are a hybrid so it's like but we have very much a hive mind we have we have the similar taste and 99.9 percent of the time everything on the page is something we've batted back so many back and forth so many times that we don't even know who wrote it that we're changing it starts with a sentence the other person erases half the sentence and writes finishes it their way then we're down to five or six passes later, literally changing grammar and like a word in there. And I can't tell who wrote it after we're done, but the directing process, Esh is a professional storyboard artist as well. So, oh, so helpful. Oh, every fucking frame of the movie, whether it's a, whether it's one shot fucking close up for the whole fucking scene that's in the storyboards. And it's like, and it runs through here. So like when we go and talk to our crew and our cast, it's like, we hand out the storyboards and, and we talk about it with everybody. And if somebody has a suggestion, cause it's a blueprint for us and there's fucking brilliant minds. We try to surround ourselves with the best people possible. And there's brilliant minds that like, I mean, like one example is like when we're talking to Walton about something and he's like, well, what if I did this and I spun that way instead of that way? And we're like, fucking great. You know, if, if you got a reason to do it, fucking do it. And so if things like that would happen and then Johnny's got to craft his lighting around whatever that movement is. So it's all, it's all very similar to block it out, you know, and, and, and have the DP light it up and then fucking fire away. And John Hawks, I remember on small town crime, he told this story to, at a film festival. He was like, I tested him. I fucking tested him. I was like, I've never worked with two directors before. And he's like, and I was nervous. I was like, is this, are these guys to be like fucking fist fighting, you know, off to the side in between takes. He's like, this is going to be insanity. How are we going to do this? And he's like, so I went up to Esham. He's like, on like day two, I went up to Esham and I asked him a specific question and he was on his own. He's like, and then I waited like a half hour till Ian had wandered off on his own. He's like, and I went up to him and I asked him the same question. He gave me the exact same answer. And I was like, okay, I think we're going to be okay here. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And a lot of young directors don't realize that actors test you. They're Act- smart, man. Actors, especially if they are seasoned actors and they have any suspicion, any suspicion whatsoever, they'll test you to see, okay, am I safe here? Am I safe? Am I safe to work here? And they'll test you. And sometimes it gets ugly, but sometimes I would wonder if you would have said a different, different (laughs) answer, how that would have continued that shoot, how that would have gone. I mean, at this point, he's already in to a certain extent. So, <laughs> but it, but it could be a smooth ride, or it could be a painful ride. It's because it, we're going. The train is leaving, so it's all about how bumpy you want to make this or not. Um, Ian and I have 
definitely become dysfunctionally codependent over the years, though. And we lean into each other's strengths really hard. So, so we both have uh, complementary skills. And I think what reinforced it for us, too, is like I read this. I mean, we try to read as many fucking books about, you know, being a fucking decent human being and trying to organize your life as we do about filmmaking. So I remember I was reading this Tim Ferriss book. Of course. Uh, and he's talking about, um, you know, like swimming upstream to a certain extent when you're trying to do something he's like why are you trying to teach yourself fucking how to make a banner he's like go on fiverr and pay some guy 10 bucks to fucking do it who that's what he does you don't need to make the banner you don't need to spend a month learning how to make a banner and working five programs pay this guy 15 dollars he's gonna do a banging job at least way better than you would have ever fucking done so why are you fucking around with this torturing yourself just write your book and hire this guy to do your book cover like fucking calm down so i was like that is such a smart way of like you know aggregating your fucking time and effort into a, in a in a in a productive way it's like 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 there's certain things that esh is really fucking good at and there's certain things i'm really fucking good at and we just go you fucking do that i'm gonna fucking do this what i'm really fucking good at and we do that and it fucking helps us a ton <laughs> i'm never gonna like ask to look at the budget <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I can't even balance my damn checkbook, dude. Like, you got to tell me if that we can afford that. <laughs> so, like, I will come up to him and say, "Esh, there's a problem," or "Esh, there's not a problem." And this just comes from yes. uh, us doing every fucking job when we started, and right. it's a good idea to do that because when because the, the problems that you have as a filmmaker and fucking Alex, you know this. Like, you go on a set where you're not in control of the budget and the line producer tells you, yeah, you can't have that fucking tripod or whatever. And you're like, I can't have an extra tripod. We don't have the money. Oh, really? Like, okay. But that's what you have to accept that answer. If you don't know anything about the budget or you don't know anything about right. those departments, but if you know how to read a budget, if you have done your own budgets and then you look through the budget and you say, I need a fucking tripod in pre-production. And he goes, I need a tripod there. And he's like, okay, figure out how to make that work. Okay, great. Then you get there on the day and they're like, I need a tripod. Where's that tripod? And they're like, uh, we don't have it in the budget. And you're like, no, we do because of this, 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 and this, and we can take it from here and pay this, or I can do this and this. And da -da -da. like, it's so much, it's so helpful because mm -hmm. there's a lot of times like it's not that he's a bad producer, line producer, whatever. It's the guy has fucking eight hundred things going on, and he can't go back to the fucking office and try to figure out where he's going to get that extra four hundred dollars or whatever to rent the tripod for that day. He doesn't have time. He's putting out eight hundred other fires. But if you can just quickly tell him, let's do ABC. We'll get the fucking tripod. Da 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 da. And then it go. He goes, great. I don't have to fucking put my time and effort into that. The answer is yes. Here's your fucking tripod. So. Like it's helped us so much in that regard. Yeah, and 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 I uh, similarly like I I lit my first feature. Why yeah. I I still don't know why I did that, but I did it because I'd been a colorist for like ten or fifteen years, and I was like, you know what? I think I could just give it down. If I could throw it down the middle, I'll I'll save it in post. Like just I just gotta expose it down the middle, and it's not pretty. And I showed it to a couple of my ASC buddies, and they're just like, 
Stick to directing, my friend. And, I, and, the, and then so my second feature, I got a DP to come in, but I wanted to do it. But I, I, couldn't have a, I can have an educated conversation with a cinematographer. I'm like, yeah. I want this lens. I want, can we try this, this Leica lens or can we try this Canoptic lens that Kubrick used, the 9.8, because I want that yeah. super – like I could have those conversations with him. Can I do what Roger Deakin does? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but I might be able to have a, a, a fairly educated conversation about it. And that's all you really need to – like. You don't need to know everything about everything, but you should know enough about everything to have educated conversations about. Because yeah. unlike unlike Mr. James Cameron, who actually can do everything <laughs> on every department, <laughs> from many people I've interviewed and spoken to who have worked with James, like he is just insanity. But yeah, but as, as educated as you can be. Um, now, listen, guys, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. Um, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to get into the business today? easy just make stuff make stuff make stuff be relentless with it don't be afraid to fail that's another thing people get really caught up in is they spend five years trying to make their first feature or whatever the fuck when they could have just made it for 10 grand or five thousand dollars and fucking got it done and realized all the fucking mistakes they were going to make way early on and then you'll and because the guy who, who spends five years to make one feature and the person who spends uh makes five features in five years is way the fuck far ahead of you like so far ahead of you, it's oh, not so even great. funny. That's a, yeah. I'm, I'm going to steal that one because that is an amazing, amazing quote. If you one movie in five years or five films in five features in in five years, that other and they could all suck, by the way. Yeah, yeah. you know who's an amazing example of that? Who I can fucking point to as a filmmaker? Uh -huh. Joe Swanberg. Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh no, Joe is he? I I've studied Joe. Five films a year. He he like, did. I think one year he put he busted out six features in one year, and he's like, like and he said he said uh, I might not be the best, but I'm going to be the most prolific, and that, <laughs> and he said it straight up. He's like, I don't care if you don't like it, I'm just going to bust them out. And that's but I kinda, will say, he's Joe amazing. Swanberg has good movies. He has there are good movies. There's absolutely. good movies in his fucking catalog, and you're like, this guy is a is a he 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 he. he, he he walks out the fucking door with three sentences and says, I'm going to make a feature out of this and starts shooting without a script. Like the guy's fucking amazing. Like that's insanity to a certain fucking extent, but it's also incredible. Like that you have the balls to fucking do that and just try it and fuck because that guy's going to get in trouble. And now he's doing studio films to a certain extent, but that guy's going to get in trouble on a studio film and in and, and a lesser director that hasn't tested himself like that and hasn't made 65 films by the time he's 35, <laughs> isn't going to know what the fuck to do or is going to have a lot less confidence. And Joe Swanberg's at lunch going to write three sentences on a fucking napkin and have it fucking solved and improv his way out of it at lunch. Like, And you're going to be like, how the fuck did this guy figure this out? Well, he's made 65 feature films. That's how he figured it out. I just – I don't know. Did you, guys see, did you guys see the new movie coming out with uh, Meryl Streep and um... – Oh God, what's her name? Uh, it's coming out on HBO Max. It's, it's a new Meryl Streep movie directed by Steven Soderbergh. The whole thing sh shot in two weeks, all improv. That's fucking awesome. With Meryl Streep, uh, Weiss, uh, Weiss, uh, Diane Weiss, and um, uh, Murphy Brown. I forgot her name. Jesus Christ. Can Candace Bergen. So yeah, yeah, all three of them on a, on a cruise ship, <laughs> two weeks on a real cruise ship, by the way. With re it, was a, it was an active... 2,000 people on the cruise ship wow. thing. He went around and shot the whole damn thing himself with them with like 
two Oscar winners and like a five-time Emmy winner, and they just yeah. rolled with it. Yeah. So that's cool. Confidence. So well. That's confidence. I, that's confidence. Oh. There's one other thing too that I think like Ian and I kind of carry with us. Like people believe that in order for you to be successful, there's this mis- 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 misunderstanding. Like for, and some people think that for order for, in order for you to succeed, others have to fail. That there's like this finite amount of success in the world. And once that de- that's depleted, no one else can succeed. That's such <laughs> utter bullshit. Yeah, like the more people around you that succeed, the greater your chances are of succeeding. So you should be busting your ass to help your friends and family and collaborators succeed just as much as you should be busting your own ass. Tell you how many times someone in our lives has reached down to help us in some way, whether it's them coming on and working for free as a PA or them coming down and helping us fucking find financing because they're a fucking big deal now you know what i mean to some extent like octavia did on small town crime i mean directly octavia spencer reached down uh we pitched her the script sent her the script and we were friends with her since oh two and uh she was in a position obviously after the help to where she could help someone help someone out and she helped we aren't the only ones there's fucking a dozen other of her friends that she helped out but she literally fucking shepherded that thing for us um helped us get john hawks helped us get anthony anderson um, and then helps get our financing. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And I and I, I always tell people all the time the, the fastest way to succeed is by helping other people. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And the and after doing this for been in this stupid ridiculous business that we were all in for twenty five plus years. The last five years since I opened up Indie Film Hustle and started giving back and started helping filmmakers and helping people, my career has exploded. And opportunities and connections and people and resources all open up because of of me giving. And I I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. And there is – there's always – there's enough for everybody, man. It's a collaborative medium and all those people – you can help each other out and they end up going, well, he fucking helped me out on that. And I can't wait to help him out on something like this is going to be great. But look at like all your favorite prominent filmmakers and not all of them, but a lot of them, they're going to be in these clusters, right? Yeah. Like Milius, Coppola, Spielberg, like they're all in, like Lucas. They're all in these clusters. They all know each other, you know? Yeah. Tarantino, so, Rodriguez, Smith, you know, Linkletter. Yeah. They're all, yeah, all yeah. of those guys. Um, now, okay. So what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? I think we're still learning it and it ends up it ends up being it's lessons that we have to reteach ourselves or remind ourselves of. And I think that at least we're getting quicker at recognizing them because I remember we stopped making shit between <laughs> it's the same lesson, right? It's like oh, you were literally going to say that. I'm like, it's make stuff like it's, it's literally the same lesson over and over again. Yeah, it's it's don't be afraid to make things. Don't let anybody shake your confidence if you think something's going to be great. I remember, and Esh and I had just had this conversation. I remember reading the script. We're big. We were big Tarantino fans. Still are. But so we read this. We got the script early to uh, through a Death. friend to Death Proof, right? Yeah. Oh wow. And so <laughs> I read the script for Death Proof, and I, I think Ash actually read it first. And I go, "What'd you think? What'd you think? What'd you think?" He's like, "Well, I think you need to read it." And so I was like, "Fuck, okay." So I read it. And within three hours, I'm standing, you know, mouth agape in the fucking hallway. And he's like, you read it? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, well, what'd you think? And I was like, I didn't even know if this is a fucking movie. Like, I'm like reading it. I'm like, is this is I, I can't see the movie. It's repetitive. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, I don't even know if this is going to be any good. Like, how the fuck is he going to make a movie out of this? And we were just like, 
what the fuck's going to happen? Like, what is this? Like, what the fuck is this? And then go you know, grindhouse day one, you know, release mm-hmm. I was we're there. in there for fucking four hours, like loving every fucking minute of it. And we're just like these guys, like, you couldn't have read what he was going to do with it on this on the fucking page. Same with Rodriguez, I guarantee it. You read that those scripts, you can't see what those guys see and what they're seeing and what they're going to do. And that and and that's what it's just it's such a good point of proof of like you're going to write something that you're fucking really excited about and you're like I'm going to go fucking do this and someone someone is going to read it and say, "Yeah, eh, I don't see it or you know, I don't and you go I see it. I'm going to go do it. Even if you fucking fail, it'll be the most amazing failure you've ever fucking had because you will learn a shitload off of that film and you will pass that fucking naysayer like he's standing still on the next one. Like, and, and it could be something fucking brilliant like breath death proof. Like that movie, that chase sequences, the repetition, it all has points. It's fucking, there's brilliance in there. But that's the thing. It's like nine times out of 10, like if you have the vision for it, it works. Right. Yeah, like right. There's, there's no matter how, like you said it so many times, it's like recipe for success there. It's like, that's what you think off the top of it. But then somehow if you pirouette out of it and it freaking works and you're like, I don't know how it works, but it did. I, uh, preach, preach brothers, preach, preach, <laughs> preach. Like this idea you just told us about Alex, where you Which went one? to fucking Sundance and shot a fucking <laughs> film. Like if you would have told 20 people <laughs> that idea before you went They're and like, fucking shot it, what would yep. they have told you? Probably yeah. half of them have been like, you know, Alex, I think you should spend that four days doing something else. You went and shot that fucking film, had a fucking amazing experience. Oh, it's amazing. Fucking four days made a fucking feature film that is now available to fucking buy on, or I, I think you said it's up for fucking... It's on Prime, right? Put, it's on Prime. You, yeah, yeah, you, you, can, it. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is about that is I actually, I actually, because I have some connections to some actors here in LA and I actually went after some more seasoned actors, people who had some names and yeah. I approached them about it and they were like, I swear one quote was like, dude, you, you're going to get me arrested. And I said, <laughs> and I said, this is not the movie for you, dude. It's okay. Yeah. It's we'll, we'll work on the next one when it's more, you know, controlled and union and, <laughs> and, and just like, you know, we'll, yeah, just a little bit. This is, this is not that film. And yeah. uh, and I, I, dude, we could talk about that forever. You're but like, I, this is fucking punk rock. If you don't want to go no, punk rock, baby, let's it's okay. Let's go. And 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 God, props to everybody who jumped on. Like I, my actors, yeah. dude, never met me. They're just like, this is the this is the best selling point I had. The whole thing, I'm like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but <laughs> that's the way I started the conversation. Like, like, look, that's I don't awesome. know, I don't know if this is even gonna be a movie at the end of it, but I can promise you one thing. 20 years from now, you're going to sit down somewhere at a party. And you're going to say, there was this one time I made a movie at Sundance oh, with yeah. this crazy guy running around stealing all the shots. That I can promise you. And that's exactly what they got. Not only a movie, but they got a story that they will take to their graves. And it was super, yeah. it was, it was super fun. But that's right. You just got to go and do it. And sometimes I'm all about not, I waited for permission for so long that I said, screw it. I can't, yeah. I can't do it anymore. And you guys did that early in your careers. Where yep. I, sh- I, w- I took I took it till my forties to figure that out. Well, we yeah. keep doing it. We were just we hyping each other a couple yeah. fucking weeks ago or a week ago. We were just like, which one we want to do? And then we talked to our reps about what we want to do, and we're like, you know what? I think the better question here is like, look, these people have fucking amazing guidance, and they're amazing people, and we fucking love them, and they love us, and we're all in it to win it. 
But there's a certain, if you have an idea of what you need to be fucking doing, you need to do it because you're going to regret it if you don't. And that's not, there's no way to live your life at all. Amen, brother. Again, preach, 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 my brothers, preach. Uh, and last question, three of your favorite films of all time. I'm going to warn you, I'm on 8% of my computer, just in case we don't make it through these fucking questions. <laughs> weird, three films, okay. you can do this. All right. Okay, of all time, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the ones that I keep going back to and watching and ones that pop into my head because it's fucking strange. Like if you if I were to mention these films as like, these are my top three films of all time, they probably wouldn't be if I sat and thought about it. But it's the movies that I think about a lot for a lot of different reasons. Predator. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the best action movies ever made. No fucking idea why, because it is the best fucking action movie made. And sci-fi and fucking. It's, every, it's, it's got everything. It's got, it's got everything. Fucking amazing. Yes. So if that movie ever comes on anywhere, I stop oh, dead and fucking watch. continue to watch it. Yeah. Um, and laugh and love and That's, enjoy. Yes. Uh, another one that I fucking love, uh, is true romance and it's just a DVD or Blu-ray that I keep fucking putting in. Um, it's like fucking Scott just nailed the shit out of fucking Tarantino script, nailed it to the fucking wall. It's like someone doing a mammoth script at that point. You know, I mean, now Quentin's got his own thing and he's fucking killing everything he fucking does. But at that point, I don't know if Quentin could have done that with that movie. It it was like, it would have been his first movie because I remember he regrets that he didn't directed i've read a couple places but i don't know if he was he he wasn't as seasoned as scott at that point so i don't know if he would have been able to to give us what that movie is out of that you know arguably Uh, arguably no filmmaker not many filmmakers are seasoned as the scott brothers because they had directed like four thousand commercials and music videos prior before ever shooting a frame of of so late in their lives you know weren't they like in their 40s when they got into like making stuff yeah Mm -hmm. i mean and that's to your point like they've been making they've been shooting for their entire lives and didn't do feature films yeah. yeah. My last one is a tie. So I'm kind of cheating. But it's Lethal Weapon and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly together. I mean, these are amazing. All of them. Uh, great. Yeah. Top, top notch. Top notch. Lethal Weapon, I've probably seen hundreds, probably a hundred times. Uh, so good. It's, it's I, so I, good. I, I like, uh, so I'm going to overlap with Ian on Predator. That's one of our staples. We go to that every time. Um, last Picture Show is one that I really enjoy. Yeah. And Big Lebowski. Ah, good, good times. Good times. I had Barry. Uh, I had Barry on the show, and uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, and I, I asked him about how he got the first. Just job. read his book recently. It was yeah, that's great. Yeah, he. That's why he was on the show. He wanted to promote this book, so I talked to him for two hours. The greatest, one of the greatest first ten minutes I've ever had, because he starts talking to me about how he started in porn, and the most <laughs> graphic. Those the same, stories are amazing. That story that's in the book is yep. in the. Yep. He did that. He did that in the show. And like he's I like, how how graphic do you want to be? I'm like, dude, it's your, Barry. You do whatever you want. First ten minutes, I was blushing. I don't <laughs> blush, dude. Like the amazing. stuff he was saying, I was like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing. Uh, and fucking- then, yeah, his his whole story. If you read the book, you, you know. Could his go story. down that you could that back in the day because I don't think it would work like this now. <laughs> go down to the fucking whatever store that was, or it was a hotel or something. Find a cute girl drag her back and have her do a porno movie where she's getting nailed in the behind. Like where the, f- ha- that, it was the seventies. It, it was, it was it doesn't have that connotation anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. not the world we live in anymore. I'm not, I, 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 it's just not there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But yes, that was a different time. <laughs> yeah. 
It's insanity. You're just like, what? It's like a scene out of a movie you wouldn't believe. You know, you're like, that didn't happen. <laughs> so, guys, and and when is Fat Man out? Is it out already? It's out now. It's it's uh it's dropped. It's on the it's on the demand services right now. Yeah. I I suggest everybody go out and rent uh or buy Fat Man and watch it because uh you will get a chuckle. Uh, it is. It is definitely one to watch. Guys, I really appreciate you being on the show. It has been a ball uh, talking to you guys. It's it's lovely talking to a, a fellow directors of my same vintage so we can yes. kind of geek out over the same archaic technology that we all use <laughs> when we're coming up. The struggle up. was real, man. The struggle was real, Alex. The struggle was real, guys. <laughs> Thanks again and much more success to you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Have a great one. I want to thank Ian and Esham for coming on the show and dropping some Christmas spirit on the tribe today. As insane as that Christmas spirit might be, it is still Christmas spirit. And I think Fat Man is the perfect Christmas movie for 2020. So do yourself a favor and go out and watch it as soon as possible. I'll put links on how to watch it in the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 260. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 